And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your NPR-based host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host Ben Bateman and Michael Grothy. Trace Coasts. Trace Host. I can't wait for the uh, the MM Cast ASMR episode that we do. This is going to be an intellectual feast, according to Alex Kessler's vocal tone. Oh, uh, yeah. So get uh, ready. Get ready. Get ready to feast, audience. I have a good uh, recipe for a souffle. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's moist. <laughs> um, uh, today we are talking about... Uh, there is there's uh, bannings not in modern but in uh, brawl and vintage and legacy uh, a vintage banning which happens almost never uh, so we'll get into that uh, there is also just a conversation about Boros uh, two two to three weeks ago we did a whole episode on um, blue green and how powerful it's become and its place in magic and 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 kind of the difference between when we did a top ten rating a while back and now and and how it's grown in power level just within that year and a half and um, Boros was something we didn't do a top ten back in the day we kind of the, the sets updated the colors so quickly that it was hard to kind of follow through that but today we will be doing a top ten top ten Boros cards um, and then also discussing just like Boros's place in Magic and you know a lot of people percept perceive Boros to be the worst color combo and magic we disagree or might not disagree and we have uh people's opinions that go through there but just kind of talking about what boris's position is within the magic framework and how it's doing and then count down what we think are the top 10 modern boros cards uh, at the end of the episode um uh before we get totally into that we want a big shout out to the nobles of house modern this is a patreon group where they get to join they get to do a cool before every episode conversation get all the other stuff and they also get a shout out uh, thank you very much, Cam Albergini, Andrew Kelso, and Brandon S. Russell. Pinky's up to you, good sirs. Pinky's up with the drink. There you go, Pinky's up. Oh, I'm so glad Pinky's up has made it into the world of the Masters of Modern. Time. Uh, Pinky's up. I've been Love ridiculously yeah, been, drinking that way. It's been really life. fun. We got to we got to hang out with Andrew before the show this time, talking a little bit about. Um, sort of his opinions of different Boros cards and getting a little bit of input on how this list was going to get broken down. So if you guys have been listening to the show for years and you, you like the conversations, you want to be a part of them, it's a great way to do it. Go check out patreon.com slash at the MMcast. There's a bunch of very cool different tiers, all different uh, benefits you guys can get. Also, if you disagree with any of our rankings, it's all Andrew. We didn't do any of this. We uh, <laughs> we give off all responsibility. <laughs> uh no, it was it was awesome. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so so why don't we get into the bannings because I think that's the most topical and, and newsy of the moment, and that is uh, nothing in modern. And obviously, right now there's a weird focus on on bannings in general because companions have made such a force, and this is kind of the beginning of that process. And in uh, legacy and vintage, Luros was banned, and then in uh, legacy Zerda, uh, the red orange, red orange. <laughs> the Boros it, command. It's Boros command. It is orange. It is an orange <laughs> box. Uh, the the Boros uh, companion uh, were banned, uh, and then Embrawl, Winota, and Dranith Ma Magistrate were banned as well. And what's some interesting things? One, this is the second uh, single card to be banned in Vintage ever. Uh, the only other cards that are banned are uh, the physical action cards uh, that no longer work within the rules of Magic. Uh, the conspiracies, which just were banned before they came out, it just is a, a mechanic that wasn't intended to be legal in any competitive format. Um, Shahrazad, uh, which was banned in 2007, which is much later than I thought. So vintage existed for a while where you could actually cast Shahrazad, uh, and then and now Luros, all and then the anti cards, any anything with the word anti on it. So things that no longer work within the framework and rules of how magic works, 
even legally. <laughs> uh, and now Scheherazade and Luros. So Luros, and, and part of that is because you can't restrict a companion, right? Like it's possible that by the end of this process, companions will be banned in vintage all the way through, or to some extent, um, Luros is just the first of that. In Legacy, um, Luros and Zerda. Zerda um, was due to its interaction with the monoliths, uh, both Basalt and the other one. And the Grim, Grim monolith. Grim monolith, uh, which and makes think, it so infinite. It's probably a good time for us to take a second to actually tell the audience on audio, especially what these cards actually do. Um, you know, they are companions, obviously, that have had a lot of talk. Um, I can read Zerda right now, as you just mentioned it. It's uh, three mana, three, three legendary creature, elemental fox, one colorless, and then uh, two Boros symbols. Uh, its companion is each permanent card in your starting deck has an activated ability. Its abilities are abilities you activate that aren't mana abilities cost two less to activate. This effect can't reduce the mana in that cost to less than one mana. And then also for one colorless and a tap, target creature can't block this turn. So um, when you mention its interaction with the monoliths, these are artifact rocks that can generate a lot of mana when they tap. And if you un you are able to untap them by playing an activation cost, which then if it obviously costs less, they can untap themselves and generate infinite mana. So Yeah, um, so default monolith taps for three, untaps for three, so it you know nets nothing. You could just keep tapping and untapping it, which has been the basis for decks throughout the years. Uh, but with Zerda, you tap for three, untap for one. Uh, and Grim Monolith taps for three and untaps for four. So you can tap it for three and then untap it for two with Zerda in play. Exactly. So so they're both cards that go infinite. Um, I think that wouldn't have been a problem because there are things that reduce activation costs. But being able to do it on turn three every single game means that if your deck is filled with those things, you will always be able to go infinite very, very quickly. There were already um, like mono red ancient tomb decks that were playing like monoliths and trying to power out Chalice of the Voids and stuff. So like the fact that you can just put Zerda in your mono red prison deck uh, and just sometimes go infinite and play a huge walking ballista and just win uh, was a little busted. And 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 I, one of the things I think is really interesting about the Zerda ban is something to speak towards Wizards banning policy, right? Where I do think there is a change that's happening. Last year, they kind of dragged their feet with both um, Oko and and Hogak, right? Like they they like banned Bridge from below instead of Hogak. They like let Oko last longer than it maybe should have in formats partially because it like hit during december so like christmas break happened so there was like no tournaments for three weeks straight so there was like no reason to ban him uh but also just the way banning schedules were ba based out at that point so so they've this seems much more proactive in their banning of zerda because zerda wasn't like filling every table with 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 decks that were playing them it was more they said in the announcement this is something that we noticed had a win rate that was too high even though it wasn't defining the format yet. And we were worried that once Luros was gone, or even if we let it go and Luros let, let Luros stay in the format, it would become a problem pretty shortly. So we just got rid of it now ahead of time. Um, which I think is an interesting, just kind of philosophy towards the ban list that is different than historically, where they're like, no, we want to see how the format shakes out. And it is kind of what they're doing in modern and, and standard, even though they've, the other big announcement that was a part of this was that they are considering even changing the rules of companion and how they work. I think that the swift action on companion bans makes sense because where if you have a powerful card that is introduced to a format and you sort of have that conversation as, as wizards uh, and, and you're, you're hemming and hawing, you know, should we or shouldn't we based, let's, let's look at, you know, patterns and play data from tournaments. Like you have one very, very key variable from that data figured out already, which is that on this turn of the game, this card is going to be in the opening hand of this player every single time. 
So we know exactly how this is going to work unless we can come up with a reasonable idea of how this can be thwarted by the other decks. We know this is a problem. I think it's worth banning quickly because uh, it's it's one of Magic's truths that has never really been realized until now, which is like, you shouldn't have the game in competitive 1v1 formats be able to hit the exact same beat every single game in perpetuity. It's just, it's just not how the game was designed. So if you know it's going to be like that, I think it allows you to ban things a little quicker. I also think that like their philosophy, they've said it's like this famous Eldraine article that's been going around um, recently, especially because of Companion, where they like are intentionally raising the power level of sets to affect more of magic, right? Because there were this string of sets like Ixalan block that were like barely touching eternal formats. So, you know, uh, they're making a conscious decision to print more powerful cards to affect formats like Modern and Legacy and Commander and whatever else. I mean, I guess every set kind of affects Commander, but like make more waves, right? Um, because like that, that was, they went like a three year period where Mono Red was the best deck in standard the entire time. And, and like not just in older formats where they do want to affect it as well, but even in standard at that point, they pointed out there was an issue where basically this was the best deck because red is always kind of good. And we just couldn't like we stopped printing cards at the same power level as that base level. And we needed to fix that. Sorry. Yeah. So, so because they're making this conscious effort to print more powerful cards that they expect will affect eternal formats, but then they are, don't have the resources to sufficiently test eternal formats, which is also something that they've said. Um, it means that they kind of do need to be quick on bands. Like if they're going to be printing these super powerful cards, that they know are going to make waves in eternal formats like and they're not able to test them super well to know that it, everything will be okay they have to be ready to ban and like i think banning cards kind of sucks and it's like you know basically we're kind of in this world where they either print these powerful cards and ban them and you have to be willing to accept quick bans like that or you have to say like print less powerful cards which like has it's positives and negatives. Both sides have positive and negative. And, right? and 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 there's there's two things there. One one is the fact that yeah, there, there's a whole kind of conversation. And and they've said they probably will slow down a little bit on the power level, but it just takes two years for things that they've decided to happen to take effect. Um, but the other thing is you, you mentioned the like not having the resources to test for older formats, and I kind of wanted to address it because it's misquoted a lot. You you didn't misquote it, but people on the internet always like use it as an argument against things. Or like maybe you should add a team that focuses on modern, and they clarified a little bit. And, and and basically, it's not that they don't have the resources from a financial perspective; it's that they could never have the resources from a financial perspective. The the team size needed to be able to test every card that they print for eternal formats doesn't exist there's too many cards they would never be able to accomplish that and so they made the decision to not put resources that would do like because that at best they would do a very medium job and and modern horizons is the example they used i think rosewater used it where it's like we put a lot of resources into trying to test modern horizons to make sure it wouldn't hurt modern and modern horizons made huge waves in every eternal format and so from their perspective it's impossible for them no matter how much money they spend to be able to cover every modern format or cover modern pioneer legacy vintage in any real way. Therefore we don't want to spend those resources on that and would rather just use banning and maybe be a little bit more aggressive with those bannings when new cards come out, Um, which I think is the only way to do it. I think that's what they're discovering, right? Like even if they go back to the old days of printing medium cards, there's always just going to randomly cards printed. We, we did an episode where we went through every single, set in modern history 
And like, we're just like, oh, every single set other than maybe I think Born of the Gods had at least one, if not multiple cards that heavily affected modern in some way. Um, so I don't think it's impossible to have nothing affect it. It's just. Right. It's just like now we're printing kind of format defining cards like Oko and Uro and Luris as opposed and like Once Upon a Time as opposed to like. Sphinx's Revelation is playable, and like Grim Player is pretty good. Alpha in your Merfolk deck, yeah, yeah. Uh, Collective Brutality. Well, like Eldritch Moon has like a bunch, but none, none of them are format defining. They're all just like utility cards you put in existing decks. Like Collective I guess Brutality. To put, and... I guess to put in perspective, like sort of what you're saying, Alex, just in case anybody who's listening is sort of trying to like wrap their head around what that means. So if you're testing for standard right now, let's say let's just, and I'm just using an arbitrary number because I'm just coming up with it. Let's just say you had 12 people testing for a standard format, spending 400 hours each testing that format, right? In the whole course of testing that, that new set they were working on. So that's like testing basically one new set and how it affects how many sets are in standard right now in the current format, like five or something like that, six? On the front and back end, it would be at most seven, right? Okay. Yeah. So if you have like, or eight, yeah, basically, if you count both core sets, maybe. Let's say you have twelve staff staff members testing four hundred hours total for how one set is going to affect six others. Even if you just kept the exact same number and you added twelve more people, which is probably completely outrageous, and and, and you would never be able to do to test older formats. There's like seventy magic sets more, actually. I think there's closer to eighty at this point. Modern. You're still dealing with like forty to fifty. It's like five to six times the amount of information you would need. You would need like sixty more employees, all spending four hundred hours each, and that's probably that's well, the trick. Problem, well, the problem is that even if you do that, let's say that they did hire forty people to do this, right? Like the number of hours that they're able to put in over the course of their development cycle is nothing compared to the millions of Magic players in one day. Like millions of Magic players put in two hours the day that the spoiler gets released, and they're all collaborating on social media and posting on Reddit, and everybody is putting their their just two hours, right? It's, I mean, that's like. 2 million hours in no time, right? Assuming a million people put in two hours each. And then over the course of a month, how many million people are putting in how many hours, you know? Like, I mean, if you guys have ever had the thing happen to you when they like spoil, you know, eight cards from a new set and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. You think to yourself like, well, that card could work with that card. That's kind of clever. And you like Google the card name and there's like a Reddit thread that already has like 700 responses. And somebody's like, here's a deck list with the exact deck you should be playing with this new card. You're stupid for not thinking of this. And you're like, yeah, well, <laughs> that was useless. <laughs> and even like standard, a format that they put a lot of effort into, even then they miss, right? Like that's, and they have like, they have the largest team that Wizards have ever had doing the, the, this process, but you have... But also like people from other departments and stuff are allowed to play in the Future right. Future League and like test standard just on the side. Like even if their main job isn't a designer, they're allowed to like build future standard decks and play them just to like get a little bit of extra testing in. And it's still... It's like a countercat. Not all like enough. Yeah, like there's 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 things that happen in standard that they'd miss. Now apply that to every format ever. So kind of the wrap up this hot take, like the chances that Wizards could have the resources to be able to test for modern or pioneer even, or legacy and vintage could never happen. Actually, I think vintage might be easier than the other ones. <laughs> it puts them in a position where like, maybe they need to be a little bit conscientious of it, but they're better off letting standard be as fun as they possibly can make it, which has its own challenges. And then letting the like community response to figure out when bannings are. And I just want them to instead ban quickly, right? I'd rather them, if they think companion is going to be an issue in modern, ban them soon. 
don't let me buy a bunch of companions. Don't let me buy a place, well, not a place of Loris's, but don't let me buy into this set. Like, instead of letting Oko get all the way to December, we kind of all knew by end of October that that card was problematic, and they should have just nixed it as 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 quickly and then just moved on. And and I think they are, they've realized that. I think that's something that's happening. Um, and make, you know, thanks for listening to this hot take. We uh, have hot takes come out every single uh, Tuesday. They come out early on our Patreon on Monday. So definitely check out Patreon. Uh, you can uh, become a Noble Off House uh, Modern. You can get early access to full episodes of the podcast. Podcast comes out uh, end of the week. So every Friday um, and then audio format earlier in the week. And uh, please subscribe, like the bell, comment. We'd love to hear uh, what you think about how soon should they be ban, ban cards is Wizards doing it fast enough or they should they do it a little bit slower and take their time we'd love to hear your thoughts so i mentioned you know earlier that this is i don't know if i mentioned this is the first time that boros cards have ever been banned in any ban list in the history of all magic in 27 years not not only is it the first time it's two got added to the ban list between Lutri and Wait, Zerda. Zerda. <laughs> between uh, Zerda and Winota. Um, and I think it's really interesting. And, and coming off of the conversation we're having about Blue-Green and the power level that Blue-Green has already gotten, you know, historically, Red-White is kind of considered the bastard color combo in Magic. Now, that's not to say it hasn't been powerful and seen play, but, like, even if you look at, like, Legacy... Uh, uh, or not legacy, but like a, a, a dual lands, the red white one is classically the least expensive one. And just like the stigma around red and white is as, is the worst colors in magic, which is not true. I don't, uh, uh, to some extent, especially now we wanted to kind of have a conversation. What are the best Boros cards? You know, do a, a top 10 countdown. Where does Boros fall philosophically in magic? Is it the worst color combination in modern? Where does it fall? Cause I think in modern, it's actually one of the more powerful ones. When we've, when we did our top 10, we made our like top 10 list of each of the different color combos when we were doing that kind of series of videos. This is where we're doing the Boros one now, <laughs> but the like Boros is much deeper. Like we, there are, there were, there were color combos that we thought would be much better, like blue red, where there's only four good blue red cards. It's just that blue plus red as a color combo is a lot stronger than maybe the color, the gold card versions of it. And, and you get to play Snapcaster and Lightning Bolt, which right, are both exactly. monoblue. Right. <laughs> combo i think i think alex it's it's really interesting what you say if you go back to 2015 when you and i started doing the show and we started talking about the best color combinations some things have stayed pretty consistent like i would argue that blue red has actually stayed pretty close to the same power level since 2015 there's only a few things that have really changed it whereas simic is drastically different i would argue boros is pretty different well maybe not boros is just good in general but i mean i think some of them have changed a lot. Others have stayed almost exactly the same. I would say the two colors that seem to me to be the most consistent over time were black, green, and blue, white, right? Like just because black, green plus other color has changed that sometimes it was Abzan and, you know, green, white and, and, and black, white. Sometimes it was Jund. Most often it's Jund. Um, but black, green kind of just the power of abrupt decay, uh, I think is a lot of it. And now Assassin's Trophy has, has kind of kept it consistent. And then, and then, um, blue white has kind of always had a deck either be just guy or straight up blue white. Like even today, blue white is doing really well. I would say that Boros is also a pretty consistent color combo in modern because like ever since Boros charm was in the format, which was like at the very beginning, 
the 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 burn deck which there's like a red deck in every format that is just like trying to kill you as quickly as possible and playing goblin guides and lightning bolts uh and in this format they play white for boros charm so but the, the i think the issue that people have with boros and the reason it's like considered one of the weaker colors is because it's like kind of one dimensional like being a red deck with some white cards is kind of like what every boros deck ends up being most of the time uh and that's actually what's interesting about both zirda and winota as like ban worthy cards in various formats is like these are obviously powerful boros cards that are doing something different right they're not like you're not putting them in a red deck splashing some white cards in some ways it's interesting because they're both card advantage engine legendary creatures for a color that classically doesn't get access to that almost like zero makes mana basically and Zerda makes mana and draws cards but zirda draws you a card by being a companion you like draw oh sure it draws yeah. itself yeah yeah it is a card advantage <laughs> uh, it's also pretty interesting that zirda like when you think about uh the cards that have similar abilities training grounds being blue obviously uh simic biomancer is familiar yeah biofence is uh, the blue so you have a blue card and a blue green card and then now you have this like hybrid red white card it's definitely a departure from that effect and what we were used to seeing i realize it's permanent instead of just creature but even so it's still kind of a similar idea um it definitely feels different than what we're used to seeing uh and i think when you're saying those boros decks like they usually are red with some white i think it's true i think every once in a while you would see like sort of a an aggro bor like a proper aggro boros deck like you know there's old like step links decks in modern that we're playing you know a bunch of red white cards but traditionally it's burn decks that have a little bit of white that's that's kind of what it feels like right. so like some sideboard cards and maybe a few efficient burn spells that happen to be multicolored yeah boros charm obviously being a great card i think after burn though i would argue jeskai is the most common blue red deck or white white red deck and that's a control deck right it's sometimes tempo like it does have there there have been jeskai tempo decks just guy guys that's, that's kind of a blue white deck with red cards yeah, yeah yeah that's I think the other talking, way that you if, can do it if you're talking base white red the only other heels. base white red deck i can really think of are some of those white red prison decks that play like chalice with like nahiri and blood moon kind of a thing and and really it's just Ath is like the key white card well actually no no those, those no are i would say that that's like decks. a real boros deck that's doing something different yeah that's yeah, true but like are, i was talking hard. more throughout magic's history and i also forgot yeah. about that but no that's a great <laughs> example yeah i think i think like sun and moon decks are 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 like the other end of control like white red because white red is very good at killing things right it has collectively the most board wipes of it like i think it red has more board wipes and then white second place it's like white red white black um and then you have some of the best removal in the format, and then you have just a red's interaction with artifacts, which is something that's been growing within its color pie over the last five years, but does help with Chalice of the Void effects and that kind of world. So th those prison decks have kind of grown and, and, and been more powerful. I, th I think that it does do some different things, but the main two things really are killing your opponent quickly or killing creatures efficiently. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nahiri is actually a really great example of a card similar to Zirda or Winota that's like a big, fairly high power red-white card that like you can build a deck around and encourage you to do something other than just like play Goblin Guide and attack right. and then play Bolt. Right, Return. right. Sneak Emrakuls in the play. Sneak Emrakuls in the play. Uh, I mean, talking yeah. about, I mean, talking about sort of that four drop, that four drop slot, right? Of like a Johnny or like Nahiri, that sort of seems to be one of the only places that I can think of of the white red decks do something different. Because I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that a Johnny is traditionally played as a card that you just want to get like a lot of lightning helixes out of. That's like not really why that card is in your deck. It's really a card that like the lightning helix is a great ability, 
but it's about the fact that if you play it in that four drop slot, you're able to slow the game down enough to get a couple activations out of the helix long term while still getting advantage. Well, it's it's versatility, right? Like it it it's it's ultimate wins you the game if you get it off, and it it's able to remove by tapping down any permanent that's problematic, including keeping them off of land, so slowing them down a turn, or just lightning helix, gaining you life, stabilizing yourself, and killing a creature on the board. So so like. And we'll we'll kind of talk about like what the best Boros cards are when we do a countdown. But yeah, it's it's been interesting how in Commander and Limited and Standard to some extent, Boros has been pigeonholed in this in such a way that publicly, like very publicly, Boros is considered one of the worst color combos. But then if you look at Modern, it's used for different things. It's used as as and I think part of that is just Path and Lightning Bolt being the best two removal spells in the format. Yeah, Maybe two of the best spells in the format, period. Like them and Thoughtseize. Two of the best spells of all time. Um, another deck that we haven't talked about is Mardu decks, where again using them as control control kind of features of the color combo and leaning on that as as kind of more of a way to win the game is is yeah, like Mardu Pyromancer decks. The other thing you you were talking about, I think, to point out is like, so, you know, Zerda is doing something that blue and green effects were doing previously. Well, it definitely feels like uh, the name of the card that was banned is uh, Winota. I mean, Winota is doing something that green was like traditionally doing really right. Like, I mean, I guess green decks summoning traps and, and, and see the unwritten and all those types of effects like that's that's like that effect pretty much. I mean, it's a little different, but I have felt I have felt like. I love, wait, year. I love that Ben can just rattle off CV Unwritten right now. <laughs> <laughs> deep, deep cons mythics. <laughs> I, will, I will say I think Wizards has been leaning more into bringing that effect back to at least red, right? With with um, Perforos being, getting sneak attack effects attached to its, its text box to end this last year. And through the breach kind of being a little bit more focused as box toppers in Ultimate Masters and... Um, like and and here I mean, if I said, that's this isn't the same thing, right? Like if I said there's a card that's look at the top X, put a creature onto the battlefield. What color would you think? Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm, this, I'm saying, I'm saying, Winota's not till end of turn, right? Winota puts it right. onto the battlefield. Yeah, that's very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not arguing that this isn't a green effect. I'm, I'm more arguing that the Wizards has over the last year been moving cheap big thing into play more into red um, than it was previously. And this is the continuation of that. And, and there are, I mean, Nahiri is another one, right? Nahiri's ultimate is literally this effect. Um, I think one thing about Zirda versus like Training Grounds and Biomancers Familiar is that I would guess that like for creature abilities, it's still more of a blue, maybe green thing. But for like artifacts and enchantments, it's definitely like a red and or white thing that makes sense. Um, to reduce. So like, obviously they let Zirda do every permanent, probably because of the way they wanted to word the restriction anyway. Um, so I don't think it's like too much of a break, but I would think it was really weird if there was like a green card that said like activated abilities of artifacts cost two less or something, right? Like that'd be weird. Yeah, absolutely. That would be weird. <laughs> um, I tried making a green artifact deck once. I mean, Tron's the best, the best option, right? Like that's really the way to make a green artifact deck work. Yeah, I think it's it's especially in mirroring of the blue green episode right where blue green has gone so many power effects you do see wizards looking at some of these other color combos that have classically had problems and seeing what are cool creative ways to like take advantage of and i think these are the beginning of that effect um it's interesting to me 
how quickly they needed to be banned in different formats. Now, I think Zerda is 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 a victim of Companion more than necessarily that effect being too powerful in red and white. Um, and Winota is just banned in Brawl, right? That's a commander format, so it's it's totally legal in every constructed format and, and a fine card and doing really cool stuff in Standard. And yeah, cool stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Depends <laughs> on how much you like Agent of Treachery, but that card is miserable. <laughs> I my I. How old were you when you found out that Agents of Treasury can also just draw you three cards as part of its ability suite? <laughs> uh, well, I, was, I knew. <laughs> I was yesterday years old. <laughs> wait, wait. What, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Agents of Treachery? So Agents of Treachery has the gain control of target creature, et cetera, et cetera. It also has, if you control at the beginning of some point, three permanents, three of your opponent's permanents, you draw three cards. Oh, I, so I never been able old. to tell you that that's what that card did. Yeah, so all you have to do is attack with, like, two of your creatures and get two agents in play. And then the next turn, when you play your Yorion or whatever, then you uh, you blink your agents and you're good to go. You draw some cards. Oh, wait, they don't they come back on and stuff, but same idea. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't really relevant until very recently when people were able to cheat in multiple Agents of Treacheries into play. And blink them with Yorion. In the same if you turn. had shown me Agent of Treachery, like, like, if the three of us were sitting around and you were like, hey... Here's a preview of a card coming out in the next set. What do you think of this card, Agent of Treachery? I'd be like, card's unplayable. It costs seven mana and it gets a permanent. Like, it's a uh, horrible card. It doesn't even have good stats. I, I would have been like, I mean, like, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so, so that. Because we effect... have a podcast that previews episodes, by the way, talking about sets, and neither of us said a word about this card. Sure, sure. And, and, but remember, it was on the tail end of, and I don't think it's modern playable <laughs> to, to a certain extent, but I do think. Like from a reanimation target, this hasn't existed. There hasn't really been an ETB gain control of target thing um, on a creature. And that that's the piece that's relevant versus... It's a human wizard, which is relevant, especially in Winota. But even like, you know, those are relevant creature types. It's like not a great cheat into play target, but it's a good like if you can get ETBs multiple times. Like if you have some sort of like Yarok or Panharmonicon shenanigans going on. But that's the reason why like it struck people as a commander card at first. And then, like, they just kind of printed the tools for it to be good and standard over time. Because I, I, we were talking about, you know, going through Winota and, and applying Winota now that it, it's shown to be its power level and standard and brawl to the extent that they get rid of it. What type of shell, what's the best human that you need to play in modern with it? Like, it, what what are the ways to make this work? And, and Agent of Treachery doesn't feel that powerful in modern just because so much of the time what you're stealing is just not going to be that good on turn four because most of the time, especially they're spread out or, or not singular or not a creature. Um, yeah, like you're stealing one of your opponent's prized amalgams when they have like two blood gas and an archimeba in play, or you're like stealing their <laughs> monastery Swiss beer and you're at five, or like... <laughs> we like, 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 I think Godo... They're stealing their planes because they have no permanence in play because they're blue-white control. <laughs> Actually, that probably kills them. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it, it, it's it's interesting, like, what's the best thing that you can play? And, and, and if Agent Treachery isn't good enough, what is with Winota? And I came up with Goto Bandit Warlord, which with uh, Helm of Awakening oh. goes infinite when you untap with it all in play. But you have to untap. Goto Bandit <laughs> it's, uh, Warlord. It's Helm of the Host. Helm of the Host, the sorry. Not Helm of Awakening. So, yeah, so you get to go, you attack with Winota, you get Goto into play, you then get... Helm of the Host. You then have to wait till your next turn, where you then uh, can equip it and then attack. It comes in equipped, right? No. Doesn't doesn't go to equip it or no? You have to equip it. No. You have to equip it. Six, right? Yeah, but you've you've just attacked with the four drop. 
So you attack, you equip it, and then you go infinite, and you win the game. It has five to equip. It's not good. But that was the best thing I could come up with, with how to do it. I feel like that's worse than Agent of Treachery, honestly. So what's interesting <laughs> about Winota is, like, she cheats a human into place. So you're not putting in Emrakul, you're not putting in Grizzlebrand, you're not putting in, like, any of the classic, big, I want to cheat this into play cards that get played in Modern and Legacy and anywhere where you're cheating things into play. Um, so you have to only do humans, and humans tend to be small. Or, like, low mana cost often. So Agent of Treachery is kind of like one of the bigger more impactful humans that they've printed it to cheat in and if we get more if we get like some warlock that like you know pay two life draw a card or something like that costs eight you know i mean they often put that type of stuff on demons that's the problem but if we got some more agent of treachery type cards then maybe it would be worth it but i think agent of treachery's effect is not as impactful in modern where decks are often low to the ground and they don't have like some big scary permanent for you to take like a planeswalker or whatever like you typically do in standard and and it could easily be like all your all human creatures get plus four plus four or you know something that like just is enough value when it enters play so it doesn't have to be a 10 drop it could be a five or a four drop but it has to be good enough that it makes sense to deal with Winota's restrictions and 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 I think what other effects would you like to see I mean I, I, I we started with you know, the sneak attack effect in Boros. And I actually really like that. Um, I've classically thought white needed more artifact reanimation and or reanimation effects in general. And now on Boros, it's a little weird because Boros would be the red side would discard and white would be able to maybe bring things back. But what, what are t- some type of effects outside of the classic kill everything or kill your opponent as quick as possible strategies? Would you like to see in red white to make it a little bit less uh, pigeonholed in that kind of that uh, silo? I think you and I have talked, Alex, a lot about the whole like reanimation for cheap creatures out of white thing that black does. Um, obviously, Rallier has that effect, and you know, Ojutai's Command has that effect. But like, you know, Isareth and other cards like that are you know the black versions of that. And I think black has all of the really good reanimation targets. So I think that like limited CMC two or less type of animation reanimation, I think is a really good thing for white to be able to do. I'd love to see more of that. I like the the rummaging, you know, out of red. I think that's really really strong. Um, I think probably there there could be more Chaos Warp style effects out of red. I think they haven't really like leaned into that very much. Uh, Chaos Warp as a card is like, you know, it's powerful. It's really good. It's not like an insanely good card, but it's very good. I just think like more things like Chaos Warp that are interesting could could maybe exist in red because it's sort of random and chaotic. And one of the issues with Chaos Warp classically is it is a color break right red shouldn't be able to get rid of enchantments. It's something that red shouldn't be able to do on its own. But if you printed one red white chaos warps text chaos. you're now in the yeah. realm of actual that's just fine that's a thing those color combos can do you're doing an exile effect your white's giving you the ability to kill enchantments and red's giving you that cool chaos effect that's a part of it um and maybe puts it more into that instant sorcery type of world so yeah, i think that card would be fine i think i think to me yeah leaning into i really like the sneak attack world i like what winota is doing i think that's a really cool place to spit place to play in for the color combo. Um, and I do think that kind of that artifact world too with with Zerda, both of these I think are really interesting places for it to play in that are also comparable to the card draw, putting extra lands into play that blue green is doing, right? Looking for things that are like, what are the weakness in red and white? And maybe white and red can't do those separately, but maybe together they can get some card advantage. Maybe they get like lightning helix, but draw a card for four or, you know, something along those lines. 
I think Boros Reckoner is another card that like we don't see that effect that much. It's like one of the more popular Boros cards to ever exist and like is always just below the surface of modern. And I know Alex is now going to tell me that it won a GP uh, in Scred. <laughs> oh, it wasn't. I was going to say I was going to wait that for the top tens. I was just going to say I would I would kill for like a two mana two two legendary Boros Reckoner. Yeah, I mean, you can't outdo it necessarily because like it is like how many of those cards do you print before it's not interesting anymore? But it feels like, you know, they could they could just tweak a couple of knobs on Boros Reckoner and make it something that like like maybe it's legendary so that people in Commander are excited about it. Uh, and then also it could get played in modern if it was like perhaps a little bit cheaper, had like something else it was doing other than just being a three mana three three that eats a fatal push or whatever. Right. And that's why the legendary where it's it's it's. Then you can't have multiples either, so it's a it's a balancing effect in an aggro deck. So you can't have like three of them in play and then blasphemous act, right? You you are right, like, yeah, yeah. And like I feel like we, you know, just before the show in our in our noble house of modern meetup, we asked uh, Andrew what his favorite Boros card was. We were just like sh- you know talking about Boros getting ready for the episode, uh, and he said Boros Reckoner. Yeah. And I think it's Alex. It's your favorite Boros card as well. Is that true? Uh, Nihiri is really high up there, but yes, classically they're. I'm, oh, I'm a fan of some as a Jess guy person. I'm a fan of some Boros cards. <laughs> I gotta say too, I think uh, one one Boros card that is not technically just Boros. It's technically a Jess guy card, but I've always felt that like I wish this was associated as more of a Boros card. Is uh, Soulfire Grandmaster? Yeah, I really liked. I've always wanted that card to be better. I almost would just say get rid of the blue part of it, get rid of the spell return side, and just make it like I can make like like a a two mana two two that my spells have lifelink is good enough. That's a sweet card. Oh yeah, I would. The, the whole conversation about like hybrid mana be in commander, which I don't want to get into, but uh, the that card almost single handedly is the reason I want I want that rule to go away. I would love for that just to be a Boros card and just let you play that in more decks because because that's, like, so that's cool. got to be one of the most underrated two drops ever printed. It's so sweet. It's so like not quite good enough, but it's so cool. Inspire Song and Sunspeaker was kind of a nod to that, the Dominaria buy a box promo. It's like definitely targeted at Commander and Brawl, like explicitly they said yeah. it was, but also it's just like a six mana four six, right? I mean, right. it has the same text, right? As well as some other text. Well, it has the first half, so it gives instants and sorceries lifelink, but it doesn't yeah, have yeah, that's the, what it doesn't have the, re- the cool text. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have the rebuy. Uh, ability, but I think both of those could fit into to kind of red white cards. Now the rebuy is definitely more red, um, but the giving spells lifelink is dope, and I think that's really cool. I, I love the like damage redirection stuff too, but one like on creatures, like the encore stuff that was back in the day, and the yeah. Boris Reckoner plays into that space. Um, Talk about making combat a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I know that's <laughs> never gonna happen. But Boris Reckoner is dope. Let's just stick to Boris Reckoner. Um that's more what I'm saying is like Boris Reckoner I think is the purest version of that. Or um what's the other one? I'm remember it's not Spite Mare, Spite Mare, Spite Mare. Oh yeah, yeah. Spite Mare, four mana three three. That card yeah, is yeah. so so we yeah, have... Boris Reckoner was pushed Spite Mare, and now we need pushed Boris Reckoner. Correct, correct. <laughs> I wanna remind everybody here, by the way, because I, I think we're just about to start talking about some of the best Boros cards. Um, if you haven't already hit subscribe, please do it. And one thing that I saw in the comments last week and Alex and I talked about is that 
for whatever reason, YouTube has this new thing with the way they're doing ads, and it's, we're not that stoked about it. They're showing you guys like a million ads. I we obviously our our channel is monetized. We are trying to you know get this thing going, but we don't want you guys to see a trillion ads. We don't really know why it's happening. We're we're trying to figure it out, but I think YouTube's been doing it across the board. So just know we're not trying to give you guys like twelve ads a show. Yeah, yeah we didn't change any settings. In fact, since it happened, I removed mid roll ads, which is something we've had forever, and hopefully that's lessened it to some extent. And let us know if the ads are still an issue. Um, we do need them monetized. It's one of the ways we're able to kind of pay for an editor and get get all of the pictures that you've seen. So that when we mention cards, you get to see them. Um, but and don't have to rely on us explaining every card. But um, we will, we will, we we are we're looking into it. I think it might be just a like monetization during COVID nineteen. Yeah, is exactly. limiting what YouTube can do. So they're trying to make more money at the same or making sure that creators can make the same amount of money. But the only way to do that was to increase ads at the same time. I think they're probably trying to push their like premium YouTube that if you pay for it, because I, I didn't know this was happening because I for the account I use, I have the premium one. So I don't get any ads. And so I would it took like two weeks of people complaining that eventually be like, oh, this is wasn't us. This is like a a thing we have to take rags. Uh, it's I didn't know about this because I have. YouTube premium. I got it because I listened to like video podcasts. I'm just kidding. <laughs> why are we? Why are we hating? Uh, <laughs> um, so now top ten Boros cards. What everyone's been waiting for. Now that you've heard what we think would be cool. Um, I get I, the, the the final points. I just don't think Boros is that bad. I think like Boros is really dope and like yeah i like 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 the i think a lot, a lot of the reason that it gets so much hate is because one it is one it is somewhat one-dimensional and like there's a few cards that break that mold but not on the whole and the other reason is because of commander i think i like because Boros is pigeonholed into attacking most of the time i mean like even winota is an attacking card it's like when you have three opponents with 40 life attacking is not that great unless you're attacking with like eight eights and i and i almost want to blame wizards for their legendary creature printings more than anything like we've had multiple sets where there have been boros legendary creatures in commander product where they have the ability to just do something weird and they still just like the giants one was just like big attackers if you made a few legendary creatures that were cool and did something different then this problem goes away fire song and sun speaker fire song and sock speaker great example feather is another good example winota was an attempt at doing that like they're trying to get better at it Gerard, uh last last summer so they, they are i think making an effort to try and solve this issue it's just like a, such a historical problem that in like a huge singleton format like that every time they print good boros cards you get to play one in your deck right <laughs> so like you're still stuck with like the vast majority of your deck being like boros cards from the first 15 years of the game where it's just like ugh. what well, and it's something that's really interesting is is blue green and boros have the opposite problems on this right blue green was terrible in constructed formats but like the best colors in commander arguably maybe black because of tutors and Boros has just consistently been good and constructed. Like it's never really been like, oh, Boros is bad in modern pioneer and standard, but just so bad in commander. And like this, this is it's been interesting to watch their their different takes on each color combo. Yeah, because it was one dimensional. It just attacked your life total. And if your opponents had an outrageously high life total and you had more than one of them, <laughs> how, many, how many people how many people play in the average game of commander? Four? Four. Four All is right, four so, is considered yeah. peak commander. To put in perspective, uh, Lightning Helix, which players. is one of the all-time... <laughs> Lightning Helix is the number one, mo probably most loved, I would say, Boros card ever. I think it's, it's definitely the most popular. <laughs> uh, I mean, we'll talk about what we think is the most powerful, but that's definitely the, mo the iconic one. It's been around the longest, as far as the good ones yeah. go. So, 
all right, already increased to 40 life, so already it goes down to a 1.5 instead of a 3 on either side. Oh, yeah, Lightning Helix isn't played. Then, <laughs> then times 3, because you have 4 people, literally Lightning Helix reads, gain a half a life, deal a half a damage. Well. That's, that's why that color sucks in Commander. <laughs> <laughs> you also are like, yes, you're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, the removal feature is also important, but in Commander, your opponents are playing big creatures, and if you're one for one in one opponent, you've now discarded two cards because your other two opponents have something over both of you. Yes. So, top ten. Uh, so, the first two are actually Winota and Zerda. Uh, they're included more because we're talking about them today. First one is Winota, then Zerda on their likelihood to see play in Modern. Um, I honestly think Zerda's rules can change. I do think the compa- answer companion seems to be leaning more and more towards a rules change on how they function. Um well, no, they no, said that they could do that, that it's on the table, which is surprising. But I, they didn't say that that's what they're leaning towards, just no, no, that no. it's on the table. I'm leaning towards thinking that that's what they're going to do, not they're leaning towards yeah. doing that. Same I think line. if Zerda stays a companion and they ban the good companions, then it will be worth building around in Modern for sure. Yeah, I agreed. I think and that's actually my worry, be... right? Like, I think that, like, <laughs> well, like how good is the Zerda deck really going to be? I have no idea. We're going to find out. Personally, I, I don't think that, like, Gigantha is a big problem. Like, just 5-5. Five, five. It's good, but five, I don't five. think it's a problem. I think Zerda is pretty much in the same camp as that, unless you're, like, comboing off. But I think there are some, like, interesting combo decks that could arise from Zerda, yeah. where you're, like, reducing the cost on your token maker or something to, like, do a Thopter Foundry impression, right? Like, a Thopter Sword thing, where you're, like, reducing the cost on your... uh mobilization to like make a ton of one ones every turn like that'd be cool i'd be into that if that was a deck in modern you know this is an effect that like the training ground effect has always been just good enough because or just not good enough mostly because if you don't find it the deck is terrible and this is a way to guarantee that you find it so now build based on that and and i think there's a lot of potential there um i also i i do honestly believe just like the free three, two or whatever it is uh, from your sideboard, drawing a card is a significant value, which it's proving to be that once you get rid of the maybe insane um, ones that are like, you know, the not, they're not draw one card when you play this, it's draw like four cards. When you play this card that you drew a card for free off of um, you have that as a, as a, that, that, that just layers on the benefit. Um, number eight, because uh, we talked about Winota, any comments on Winota beyond what we talked about? No, I think think it's a totally cool card. Fair. Awesome. Um, I think she's cool. She's not quite there in modern. We need some more cool humans. Yeah, I think she's I think she's below. I would rather play Blood Braid Elf over Winota most times until there was specific humans that made it worth it. Um, Number eight, Cloud Shredder Sliver. I like this card. I have drafted this card in Modern Horizons draft many a time. And when I always do, I always sort of end up leaning into the like, oh, can I make this work? Is this going to be as cool as I want it to be? But then I end up just like taking a bunch of like changelings. Then I'm sort of like this weird changeling blink Jeskai Slivers deck. I've done it like a million times. So so really for, everyone, for everyone knows what it is, Cloud Shredder Sliver is a red, white, 1-1 one, one sliver. Sliver creatures you control have flying and haste. Um, out of Modern Horizons. I mean, there were a few different slivers deck that started seeing play for a brief moment. It's in that like collected company tribal deck family of decks that exists everywhere in some way um, that like are possible because there's now like six unclaimed territory or there's unclaimed territory and um, cavern cavern of souls. And so 
it's just it's it's one of the best two drop slivers you can play. It does it has two of the best abilities and magic attached to it, giving it to all other creatures. And in those decks, the color cost requirements are nothing. So, yeah. Also, like slivers. Okay, so like a like a like a Boros creature that is a one one for two that has flying and haste is not playable, but it's not that far from playable. I agree with that. So like it being that anyway, and a sliver is kind of nuts considering like most slivers don't have anywhere near as stacked of abilities. Um, that's why I think that card's so good. And flying, flying is kind of similar to like Lord of Atlantis. Like this card is kind of like a Lord of Atlantis that also gives yeah. haste, right? Because it's like it's not giving plus and plus one, but it's like flying and haste, and then your other things are getting plus and plus one. Like it just fits in that evasion slot that Lord of Atlantis has, where like nobody can ever race you because your creatures are unblockable. This does that. It just doesn't do the plus and plus one. It does haste instead. Totally. In magic. In general, I think I would choose haste over plus one plus. Like if I was giving Riot as a choice, I think I choose haste ninety nine percent of the time. That's not totally true because it's relevant, but I, I definitely think I choose haste more often than the plus one plus one plus one counter. When you're a sliver deck, I think because you have so many other things right. giving your creatures plus plus one. Like you're probably playing four sinew slivers and whatever other slivers that you know are buffing your team. So. All right, next card. And we're now in the world of, like, tournament-level cards. And the next one is Deflecting Palm. This is a red-white... Let me bring it up. Uh, This is a red-white instant. The next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, prevent that damage. If damage is prevented this way, Deflecting Palm deals that much damage to its source's controller. Um, This is famously just a beating for Death Shadow decks. But also, like consistently in burn uh uh burn mirrors any type of aggressive deck that's trying to just lower your opponent's life total can that like wants has red and white definitely takes advantage of this card yeah it gets a lot better when your opponent is playing cheap big creatures like death shadow or grim angler because if your one source that you're choosing is a two two you're preventing two dealing two if it's a five five Gurmag angler you're preventing five dealing five so it just like scales up with your opponent's creatures right and and you know in burn this if they're attacking with the Gurmag angler you've now two mana for five damage gain five life is exactly what you want to be doing <laughs> it's a, lot, a lot better than lightning helix yeah <laughs> i always um, felt like i always felt like this card when i read it i was just like oh this is like just like another one of the redirect effects you know white has had these for years healing uh, salt yeah healing this salt. one <laughs> yeah this one is slightly pushed and uh it is slightly better and it's weird that it's off play because so often these are just total afterthought cards i think it's a part of it's the difference between doing damage and gaining life yeah have you guys ever played against the card harm's way no i don't remember it now you know the card harm's way sounds familiar so- but I, I can't think what it is I have been blown out by it so many times in in common and uncommon cube. It's one mana. It's from M10 uncommon. It's a prevent the next two damage that would be dealt to the source of your or to the source of your choice. And then you can deal that damage. Divided as you choose among any number of target creatures or players or something. I don't know. It's something like that. But you get to redirect the two damage divided. So you can just like block prevent the damage to your creature, kill their other creature, and you just, like, two-for-one them for one mana. Sounds super sweet. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I like that card. That was a little tangential, but... Number six. I've been about it since we've been talking about Deflecting Palm. Number six, and, uh, you know, 
It might not be winning in the power level contest, but it's definitely winning in the popularity contest, which is interesting because this just happened in an anime. I watched its finale last night. It, weird. This is the uh, the Hawks of uh, Boros. Uh, Boros Reckoner, uh, <laughs> most popular, but maybe not the most powerful, though it did win a GP in in Scred. So sorry, Michael. Uh, Red White loves Scred as much as I hate Cold Snap. <laughs> uh, triple Triple Boros wizard, Minotaur Wizard three three. Whenever Boros Reckoner is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to target creature or player. Uh, you then can also for red and white uh, single mana hybrid mana Boros Reckoner gains first strike until end of turn, um, which is always interesting, right? It was it's a, an effect that like doesn't get along with itself. Um, like, yeah, right. Like, the first strike cancels out the second part of its ability, um, so it's a cool, interesting choice. This is fame. Like this card is is one of those like there there's always been this one card that they wait to reveal in the dump of cards that happened on the last day of preview season. So um, another one that was Spellskite was in this category, I believe where like, it's not part of preview season. You don't have an entire two days where people were going over it and like analyzing this card going to be good at being able to affect its price. So like, this card came out, no one knew, no, I was like, oh, this is like a random uncommon, basically. <laughs> and then ends up being like a standard powerhouse. Yeah, it was a rare, but um, like a standard powerhouse and just, just like one of my favorite cards probably ever. Um, it was the original Aristocrats deck. Like the, the Aristocrats deck gets its name from the Boros Reckoner deck that won the Pro Tour. Tom Martell uh, was playing the Aristocrats deck with Cartel Aristocrat and Falconrath Aristocrat were the two Aristocrats. And then you had like Boros Reckoner and it was like a, a Mardu Tokens deck basically, but it had Boros Reckoner with Blasphemous Act as like a win condition. Well, and it had a uh, Harvest Pyre, which is uh, exile, yes. exile X cards from your graveyard do X damage to target creature. creature. And for one red, one color was instant, right? So you could, you could like late in the game, just be like, all right, I'll just like play this for two and exile eight cards and just like end the yeah, game. Do eight damage to your face. Um, it, it could also, also go infinite, right? It was in like a charms deck, right? With two charms, it, could, it goes infinite. Yeah, I love this card. I was just telling, I was telling this to Andrew on the, on the, the uh, modern house, the, the tea time for the show. Um, in one of our, in one of our chaos drafts at like a GP this last year, I like opened a foil Boros Reckoner in my Modern Masters two pack or 2017 pack probably, uh, and I was like, "This is so cool!" I was like, "This has got to be worth money." I looked it up; it was worth like a dollar eighty. But it like it like definitely won me some games, which is sweet. But I was like, "Wow, how the money had fallen!" This is so much less exciting than I thought. Um, I like I traded a Brigamo or I traded a foil Boros Re- Reckoner because of that issue. I didn't even know the card existed uh, during the pre-release to Chris Hare, friend of the podcast. Uh, for a foil Borogamos because I wanted to build that commander and did not realize I was trading like a $30 card for a $4 card. Uh, I still have that uh, Borogamos, though. It's the commander for my red-green deck. It has been that since I owned it. So who's you remember one? Aurelia's Fury, speaking of Boros cards? Oh, yes. yeah. I, yes. Trust me, I have, tried, I have tried to make Aurelia's Fury work many a time, Michael. I still love that, that card. card. So I was working at a shop at the time. That card was like $40 when it came out. And people were like selling it to the shop and I was like paying people like 15 bucks for it. Cause like at pre-release we don't buy cards super high cause we know they're all going to go down. Whereas like, ah, oh, you know, it'll probably go down to like 30, maybe 25. We can afford to pay 15 for it. And, uh, turns out it was like $2 a month later. <laughs> <laughs> that like, that's the, op- th- those are the two sides, right? There are some cards that there are the, 
you know, uh, uh, Arclight Phoenix is that everyone thinks is bad and then ends up being an insane card and worth way more at pre-release. And then there's the, the Aurelius Fury where everyone's like, this is a $60 card. This is so good. Look at all the things it says. And, rolling Thunder with upside. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, never sees play. The temporal, <laughs> the temporal masteries of the world, you mean? <laughs> Wasn't Temporal Mastery like $50? Yes. Yeah. Temple Master. Oh, anything <laughs> that like looked like a power nine for a while just did that. And then none of them saw play. <laughs> well, and Avacyn Restored had like a ton of cards that were super expensive on release. Cause it had Avacyn, Greaselbrand, uh, all the miracle cards were like super expensive in tree, temporal mastery, even Terminus was Bonfire like, Bonfire was like 50 bucks. Oh yeah. Bonfire. No, no, no. Bonfire was a sleeper. Bonfire was the sleeper of them. Everyone thought the other ones were going to be good. And then Bonfire ended up just being the best in standard by a wide margin. It, it eventually became 50 bucks, but it was like three weeks later. I remember that was another one that people were like, Oh, this is just another lightning like effect. Uh, meteor, yeah, yeah, yeah. not meteor storm. What's the Zendikar multi-kicker fireball Comet. Comet storm was like bad a year earlier. Or so, or like two years earlier. So they're like, yeah, hey, there's no way this is good. And then it ends up being, insane uh all right speaking of good boros cards not these aurelia furies uh number five uh a johnny a johnny vengeance vengeance the angry a johnny card is Uh, super sweet it is white red two for a planeswalker comes down on three it has a plus one that is what uh tap target permanent it doesn't untap during its controller's next tap step or does it doesn't tap it yeah it doesn't tap it it just just, just target permanent does not untap and then it has a minus uh, minus two, which is Lightning Helix, and then minus seven, which is choose target player, destroy all lands that player controls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, I mean, this saw a ton of play back in the day when Deathrite Shaman was legal and Bloodbraid Elf was banned because they needed that four drop. It's seen play in prison decks. It sees play in Jeskai control decks, the sideboard cards. It, it just has a lot of value attached to it. We talked a lot, a little bit at the beginning of the podcast. Personally, uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like a Johnny has been outclassed. Agreed. I agree. Doesn't mean I don't love it though. I like I think this card's been outclassed, but like I will say that in playing any kind of a format, whether it's like a cube format, whether it's Highlander, even sometimes in modern, like I mean, I, I've put this into Bruise before. I really do love being able to play a planeswalker that comes down at helixes, because often it clears a thing I'm worried about, and then still have a planeswalker left over. Like it's it's a really sweet card. I think there are way better planeswalkers, but I do love this card. I, I think that this is like a good inclusion for historical reasons. I do think that it's had a historical impact on modern, but I feel like Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, Chandra Torture Defiance, and Nahiri have mostly outclassed him yeah. as a trifecta of Boros Planeswalkers. And I mean, the cards above this in this were Boros Reckoner, which also doesn't see a ton of play. Um, Johnny has definitely... Oh, I'm won. not arguing with the list. Yeah, I'm just... Yeah. Arguing its its place in history more than its place in the moment. Um, yes, it but has, it, it it has historically been a very important planeswalker to modern, and it was one of the first planeswalkers. It was the fifth after or the sixth after the Lorwyn Fives. It was Elspeth and Ajani in Shards of Alara, right? The, and and uh, Sarkon. And Sarkon, and yeah. maybe Tezzeret. I think all four. It's all four of them, and then Nicol Bolas was printed in the next set. Yeah, in Complex. That's yeah. right. Um. But speaking of outclassed red-white planeswalkers, a planeswalker, uh, definitely one of my favorites of all time, I think. And I have a commander deck built around them, breaking all of the rules. Nahiri, the Harbinger, two red and white, planeswalker Nahiri, comes in on four loyalty, plus two, you may discard a card. If you do, draw a card. Minus two, exile, target enchantment, tapped artifact, or tapped creature. Minus eight, search your library for an artifact, creature. Or creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. It gains haste, 
return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. Speaking of doing a bunch of really cool, interesting, different things, from sneak attacking to looting to, and then, you know, being a good removal spell. Um, when this came out, this was, like, kind of one of the premier finishers for Jeskai decks. And, and it's definitely fallen by the wayside a little bit, though still sees play in those prison decks. Um, it it obviously is good because it comes down and just immediately ticks up to so much loyalty or can remove any most threats in play and then eventually puts a number call into play. So, like, it's ultimate is game winning. Um, yeah, love this card. I always been a big fan of this card because I think it coming down and ticking up to six right away means that it really functions nicely in decks that are trying to do something that's like a little bit off the beaten path in a white red as it going up so high and then rummaging to get you a card to get rid of something. Also, the may ability on the discard, right? It pluses you may discard a card if you do, which means if you have something in your hand, you definitely don't want to get rid of. It's still just a planeswalker that can come down and go to six right away, which even if it's just like a big clunky fog is pretty relevant because six is very high. And then obviously, if your opponent's not equipped to deal with it, it just wins the game, which like it doesn't win the game in a like Jace, the mind sculptor kind of a way, but it wins the game in a like, I mean, not to say that it's a different effect. What I mean is Jace on its own without whatever else is in your deck is like it does this thing right with Nahiri. In theory, you've built a deck that can support the idea of getting something giant. That's like probably something your deck is able to do. Except you only need one Emrakul because she can discard the Emrakul shuffling it back into your deck, right? It's 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 yes, you have to play with that card. And if you don't draw Nahiri and you draw Emrakul, it's a little bit of feel-bads. But the fact that she deals with it by herself is is not the, you know, it's kind of a cute little package. And it's flavorful, right? The whole point of her story is she's bringing Emrakul to, to like, that's what she was built to do. She's a Stoneforge mystic slash Emrakul summoner. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, both of them just kill you straight out, right? I think they're actually pretty comparable, right? They like gain you value, but then if they ultimate, you're pretty much losing versus some other Planeswalker ultimates where you feel like you have a fighting chance. I've also We're always been really a giant like... Nahiri and Jace. Oh, oh Nahiri and Jace. Got I've it. also always really liked the, the combination of uh, Felidar Guardian plus Sahili plus Nahiri because I really like getting, if, if you need to, you can just... Uh, ultimate you know to get your guardian to then blink your nahiri and use it again like there's a lot of really cool interactions that guardian has with nahiri and so i've always really really liked those I, those ideas together i think those decks that are trying to get something huge and and just the the like not to like the versatility of a removal spell enchantments and artifacts and creatures and a card advantage engine through the draw and discard ability by itself is also just very powerful and the fact that it wins you the game um and she, we've seen her in like jeskai kiki jiki decks too because she can do the same thing where she grabs the kiki jiki to win right right um next on our list funnily enough is wear and tear this is a split card there's two cards on the card which is what a split card is uh where is instant destroy target artifact tear is destroy target enchantment uh where costs one red tear costs one white and it has fuse, importantly. It does have fuse. So you can, if you pay one red, white, destroy target artifact and target enchantment. This is just one of the more versatile removal spells. It's it's up there with like Ancient Grudge to me, um, where just it's always a consideration because it's not as powerful as some something like a um uh uh not an ancient grudge, a um uh Stony Silence, where, like, you're blasting artifact decks, but the ability to also fight against a Boggles opponent or just be able to deal with an enchantment that's problematic or while also being able to destroy artifacts or do both ends, you sacrifice the, like, nuke against some strategies for versatility against multiple. 
Well, what's cool about it in like burn sideboards historically is that it can destroy Chalice of the Void, which is important to you, and it can also destroy Leyline of Sanctity. And sometimes you can destroy both. Yeah. Where Care has always been a card that like anytime I'm ever on my way to a tournament or trying to figure out like, okay, in my modern brew, what's the sideboard going to be? I have these these, you know, these six slots left after these nine like cards that I own that I definitely want to play. And I'm at like a card shop or like a GP. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy like two more wear tears and put them in. They'll be fine. They're always good. This is right? an amazing 75th card, right? This is the yeah, like, yeah, 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 I yeah. just got to a tournament. I like didn't maybe didn't do enough testing to really figure out what my sideboard is going to be. Or I like forgot a card at home that I was going to have in my sideboard that's expensive. And uh, oh, no, what am I going to do? Uh, okay, I need to borrow or buy a card really quick. What's like good generically oh wear and tear great um and yeah yeah, i think i think the other place that's really strong is fighting against sideboard cards right the most common two types of sideboard cards are artifacts and enchantments which is what burn's doing and and this being great for proactive strategies to be able to fight against those is always really you know important um and why it's number three on the list versus yeah it's like it's a great catch-all sideboard card speaking of a card type known for its versatility though this one is not really that we got number two Boros Charm, red and a white instant. Choose one. Boros Charm deals four damage to target player, or permanents you control are indestructible this turn, or target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Um, damage, damage, and protect your stuff. The card uh, goes infinite. Our charm probably, uh, but it only has one mode really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, seemingly in modern, right? The the four the four damage is like the only mode that ever gets used. But I I love this card. I love the versatility of this card. I love that if you're waiting to do something at the end of the game, if you're waiting to four them end of turn, but you have this in hand, your ability to like use it as effectively a counter spell for a removal spell when they try to kill something and make it indestructible is such oh. a nice like extra feature of the card. I have been blown out by the indestructible side. Like I I I do think like. You're using the damage side 90% of the time. The indestructible thing comes up more often than you would think. The 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 double strike one is the one that's kind of just like. But even that, I don't think is as bad as you're yeah. thinking, because like I'm such a fan of the double strike side. I mean, maybe I'm just like somebody who likes to go for the one shot kill a lot. But there's a lot of situations where uh, I mean, I guess I guess in modern specifically, probably the double strike side is something that almost never comes up. If, but if, I can think of a lot of situations where it's been relevant to me in, in non-modern uh, situations. Uh, and, and like in, in Wild Nacatl decks, I mean, me and Michael can one day have a long argument about our thoughts on Wild Nacatl. But if that card were to see play again, even though it won't. Uh, our time. <laughs> uh uh, ben, uh, do you know that Michael loves Wild Nacatl almost as much as he hates Cold Snap? You give your Knight of the Reliquary <laughs> double strike. What about that? <laughs> when was the last there's, time I mean, there's definitely stuff you can do. I think, of, I think well, the problem with the double strike idea in like a regular zoo deck is that unless you're getting through with a 5-5 five five or something with 5 power to begin with, like, which is pretty good. Like if you're getting through with some of a 5 power, like you're in business, that means for 2 mana you can get through 10, but otherwise... Just use the four damage. Well, no, no, no. Right. It doesn't Wait, matter that much. It's three, three. If something, if, if you are attacking with a three, three or better, it's worth double striking. No, it's no. not. Why? You do six a three, damage. Three, three is oh, six it's an damage. Extra three. Okay. As you were saying. So you have right, to, you're hitting you have for to three. Boros Charm makes it seven, right? Yeah. Got you it. have to be getting okay. through the, with five power, which, like, if you're getting through with five power, you're probably in business. But, like, that's why the double strike side has to be suited to decks that are, like, really trying to take advantage of it. Or I think Reliquary is a good example. Or like, and like we were talking about with the Boros Reckoner, like this was a card that people would combo with it in Standard, where they would make it indestructible with this before they Blasphemous Act, so that it would live. And then if you can also give it Life Link, which people were doing with Azorius Charm in Standard, uh, then you gain infinite life because it hits itself, which hits itself, which hits itself, which hits itself, and you gain infinite. 
Alex and I also have a friend who uh, we used to play commander with and his, to use an Alex phrase, main move was land destruction. And he used to always Boros charm and then Armageddon because it protects all your permanents. Mm. Uh, so I know very well to expect all somebody's permanents to be indestructible when they Boros charm. Because a lot of those effects are just creatures you control are indestructible. But I will never forget that Boros charm is all permanence because of Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta protect those lands. Um, now... The final best red white card. Ben spoiled the the whole ranking earlier in the podcast. I teased it. Uh, I, I'll be sent for probably. I don't think anyone was. Out. I don't think anyone really doubted uh, what <laughs> the best Boros card ever printed was. One red, one white, instant. Do three damage to any target. Gain three life. Lightning helix. It, it also might just be the perfect red white card. It's like clean. Yeah. It like does everything it's that your colors plus healing cells. Right. I don't know if there's a more defining. It's it's arguable that there is not another gold card that more represents a color combo. I like maybe growth spiral actually. Like uh, on in recent days, really good. Like if you can just, if you can draw just a card, put a land into play. That's like blue green, and this is do damage, gain life, red white. If they can just print the blue-black version of this that gains me three black mana and draws me three cards at instant speed, I'll be so happy. <laughs> I think you're more likely to get, like, discard a card, bounce a card for black-blue. Ancestral Ritual. I'll, I'll lose my mind for that one. That's Recoil? Like Are you talking about Recoil, Alex? <laughs> yeah, that's one extra. That's three mana. Yes, basically. Oh, man. Imagine a two-mana Recoil. Uh, all right so yeah so that that is i mean uh i i don't know what more i want to say about boros lightning helix it's like great it's a really good card it's played in burn it's played in control one of the things we were talking about lightning helix when we were making the rankings was that it gets played in these like one dimensional boros aggro deck um like burn but it also and zoo but it also gets played in like jeskai control and like sun and moon because it gets around chalice of the void and like it's a great control card it's a great aggro card it's a great mid-range card it's just like if you're playing red and white in your deck lightning helix is always going to be a consideration i think also like i think also like one thing we've talked about for years is that just straight life gain like one white to gain three mana is not good enough but anytime you incidentally put life gain onto an already good effect for, say, like one more mana, it increases the value of the card exponentially. So you can see it on like a Siege Rhino where it's like Siege Rhino gets that much better. Lightning Helix gets that much better. Anytime you have the life gain effect that's attached to a card like that, it just makes all of the difference. And, and part of that is is Control's game plan almost always is to stabilize. And a car and gaining life lets you do a thing to put your opponent back a bit, but also just in case they're able to come back, gain a cushion to protect yourself. And it's why uh, Sixers Revelation was so powerful. It's like Bane Slayer Angel was so powerful. And it's one of the reasons Lightning Helix is so powerful. One one thing I will say uh, about just um, Boros in general is it's really good at fighting against um, Chalice of the Void. <laughs> but, yeah, true. I mean, you mentioned it. <laughs> Between yeah, so so that's that's what I have to say today. I, I do think I do think Boros gets a bad rap. I think that th as a color combo, it offers a lot of really powerful versatility. It, in Commander, it's hurt by the fact that I think it's just its commanders are boring. Uh, like that, I think that has more to do with it. Anything else is that just uh, until very recently, Dominaria, like almost actually within the same framework of when all these blue green cards that are good came out, like the 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 like what Boros was doing was not very exciting. 
in one of the most popular ways to play magic and in a format that's very like what your commander is tells you what you can do and so because like legendary creatures weren't as always good i mean i have a nahiri deck that's a commander deck but it's built around the planeswalker cheating because i wanted to cheat <laughs> around that rule um do, crime. do crimes 2020 uh play planeswalkers as your commander um and um, and, and part of the reason is just the ability to discard and draw a card is really cool in here. You can do this really cool reanimator shell. Um, that's like something that's within the color pie. Like red has a lot of really good discard and white has some pretty decent reanimation effects and being able to combine them is really cool, but there's no commander outside of Nahiri that lets you kind of play in that strategy. And so, you know, being able to take advantage of that is really cool. And just if, if wizards would print more cards in that space, that'd be great. Um, as far as competitive play goes, I like what it's doing. I think it's really cool that Lightning Helix, you know, that Lightning Helix is the first to tell removal spell and burn spell. I like that relationship of the color combo. And beyond that, make sure to follow us. There's a bell. There's a subscribe button. There's comment section. We would love to hear what type of Boros effects you would like to see. What what parts of other maybe color pies do you think could combine and become a Boros effect? Um, famously, that's what Lightning Helix is, right? Like Lightning Helix on its face is a black card, but because red and white together kind of do those two things, it can do it together. Um, we uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. I am at Kess Wiley. I'm at Ben Bateman Media. At uh, Dudard, D-U-D-A-R-D-D. Uh, likely when I point at them, they it's pointing somewhere else because Discord is weird. Uh, make sure to check out um, our Patreon. We we are able, thank you all to our Patreon members, not just the, obviously the nobles, but everyone else who helps make this podcast happen every week. Thank you to Marshall uh, and Time Travel Media for producing the show and helping us edit all this stuff together. Um, make sure to uh, follow. I, I, I am doing Twitch streams at Kess Wiley. I do gameplay. From modern to to gladiator magic to um, other fun things, um, I might start rating magic cards as if they're being entered in a museum as a owl called Magic the Blathering. <laughs> I have a bow tie and everything ready to go. Um, uh, make sure Ben just launched a new YouTube channel. Yeah, I'm doing this new thing called Nerds and Suits, um, youtube.com slash nerds and suits. I've got a show called Song from the Scene where I'm talking about great songs and movie scenes and then actually covering the songs live. And then I've also got this show called A Great Conversation. It's like one-on-one -on -one interviews. Um, I've got one posting this week with Chloe Dykstra from, you know, Nerdist. And you guys know a bunch of cool stuff she's done. Uh, Mark Fernandez, the CEO of Collider, you know, Dan Merle from Screen Junkies. A bunch of really cool people are up there. So uh, give it a follow. I'm trying to get to 2,000 subs in the first month. It would mean a lot to me if you guys checked it out. And uh, make sure to check out our Discord. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Michael is avid Discord user um, and love to see you guys there. Hang out. Uh, check out Masters Modern One. There's links in, I think, most episode stuff to go find it. It's also on our Twitter. There's like a link to the Discord. So definitely join there. Whole kind of conversation happening. You can hang out. Uh, and, and yeah, thanks so much for listening. Um, and subscribe, like, comment, all those things of this video because that's the important stuff. Make stuff happen. Uh, talk to you guys later. See you guys next week. Bye, guys. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.